Uh, we're really grateful to be able to celebrate together, but we're going to take a break from this, this series next week as we do that for Father's Day, but we will get back to it one more week after that. But this week is the, the best part of God's story. And, and it is historical. History is his story of salvation for us. And we're looking at the greatest story ever told. And right at the center of this incredible story, the fulcrum of all of it is Jesus. Jesus is at the center of it all. In fact, all of the Old Testament, everything we've been talking about to this point, is leaning towards teaching people the Messiah is coming. There's coming a day when God's going to do this. He's going to fulfill promise. And then we have Jesus come through the Gospels, and then everything else after the Gospels is the proof that Jesus was the Messiah. He is who he says he is. And the church is built on that bedrock. And, and so that is the very center of the story that is shared here in the greatest story ever told. But I wanted to show you just a couple of things. I have 55 prophecies, so you can memorize these really quickly. There are 55 prophecies and many more actually that are given in the Old Testament that we see fulfilled in the New Testament. There are a lot more than that. And if you'd like a copy of these, please let me know. I'd love to get them into your hands. But they are these promises that God speaks to. He says, I'm going to do this. And then we see in the New Testament where the, the early church, they're offering the proofs. They're like, look what God has done. Remember when so-and-so said this, he did it through Jesus. Remember when so-and-so said this, God did it through Jesus. And so it's the prophecy, Jesus, and then the proof. And so I wanted to stop today and really look at Jesus and what he has done for us. It's really the most exciting part of the story of what God has done. But we're going to go into Isaiah chapter 35 in just a second here. But I wanted to give you just kind of a little bit of a background on this because what we just came out of over the last several weeks is looking at how God took his people that were nothing, they were nomads, they had no place of their own. He took them into a land of their own. He raised up a kingdom that was the most powerful kingdom in the world at its time. And then over time, the people through the sin cycle, remember talking about the sin cycle, not the spin cycle, the sin cycle, get to the place of falling away from relationship with God and it just continues to happen. And because they continually fall away from God, as we read last week, as we were looking through the, the time of the kings, at one point the northern kingdom in about 586 BC loses their kingdom, they go into exile, and in 726 BC we see that the southern kingdom, they go into exile. Both of the kingdoms are lost because of this sin cycle. But it is right before this moment of the kingdoms being completely lost when the prophet Isaiah begins to speak on behalf of God and tell the people, listen, there is a time of punishment coming for what we've done, but there's also going to be a blessing on the other side. Now we, with the hindsight of reading the rest of the Bible, we know that that blessing is Jesus. But I want to look at exactly what Isaiah wrote about what Jesus would be. So here's what he says in Isaiah 35 verses 1 through 7. Even the wilderness and desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with spring crocuses. The wasteland is somewhere in Jersey. I'm not exactly sure where. Yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon, as lovely as Mount Carmel or the plain of Sharon, Pennsylvania. There the Lord will display his glory, the splendor of our God. With this news... 
Strengthen those who have tired hands and encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. For your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind, unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like deer and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness and streams will water the wasteland. The parched ground will become a pool, and springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. Marsh grass and reeds and rushes will flourish there where desert jackals once lived. Now, when Isaiah is writing this, he's doing something really neat that I don't want us to miss here. Isaiah is speaking forward and backward at the same time. That's pretty neat, right? He's talking to the historical part in Israel's history where Israel, though they were in slavery in Egypt and they came out and God wanted to bless them with the land of their own, but they rejected God's plan. So they ended up where? In the wilderness, a wasteland. They ended up walking around for 40 years in a wasteland, an entire generation in a wasteland. And because they had to go around in that wasteland, God's still saying on the other side of this, there's promise. At that point, it was the promised land. Well, God, now Isaiah is using that same terminology to say there is a season of wasteland, a season of desert that is coming for Israel. But on the other side of it, God once again has a plan for redemption for his people. He's going to water the wasteland. Now, how many of you have ever been to the desert? Ever been to the desert? A couple of you? I had the chance a couple years ago to go to Cairo, Egypt, and I got to ride a camel in the desert. Now, that sounds really cool. It really wasn't that cool. It was, uh, I was like just on the outskirts of a city, and there's just nothing but desert from there on out. And there's a guy. This is at the Great Pyramid of Giza. There's a guy there with a broom who is sweeping the sand. Worst job in the world. But I had I go to ride this camel, and, and so and if you've ever ridden a camel, you get onto a camel while it's laying down on the ground, and then all of a sudden it stands up. And it does that by throwing its butt, which is nine feet tall, up in the air, and then you think you're going to fall out, and then it stands up again, you think you're going to fall back. It was really not that pleasant of an experience. But as you look out across the desert, you see there is nothing, nothing. There were no cactuses, no flowers, no blossoms, no animals. It was just hill after hill after hill of sand as far as the eye could see. It was nothing. And it is exactly to this kind of landscape that God is speaking to when he talks to Israel. He says that that wasteland that you've looked at where nothing grows, where nothing blooms, where nothing flourishes, where there's no rest from the sun, there's nothing good, there's no water to drink, there's no food to eat. It is that very wasteland in which I am going to cause good things to happen. Now Isaiah is speaking to this and he tells them that on the other side of the wasteland that Israel is about to enter, that God has a plan to water and sustain them and to help them. In fact, we read this because Jesus fulfills this and we see it in John chapter four, verse 10. Because when Jesus is in his ministry, he comes on and he's speaking to a woman at a well. And he's speaking to a woman who is in a wasteland. He goes up to her and he says, listen, I know what's going on in your life. You have had five husbands and the one that you are with now is not your husband. He says, you are in a wasteland, daughter. And he says, but I want you to know something. I want to help you. First, he asks her for a drink. And she's all offended by this. She goes, I'm a Samaritan woman and you're a Jewish man. How dare you ask me for a drink? She kind of gets an attitude. 
But then Jesus says this to her in John 4, verse 10. He says, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And then in verses 13 and 14, he says this. He's talking about the well that they're sitting next to. Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Now, there's a lot going on here, what Jesus is speaking to, but I don't want us to miss that he is speaking to this very same thing that Isaiah spoke about when he was writing to the children of Israel in Isaiah chapter 35. He's saying a time is coming when God is going to water the wasteland. And then Jesus shows up on the scene in his ministry and he goes around and metaphorically just continues to water wastelands. Because listen, if there's anything that we can see about a woman who was married five times and the man that she's with now isn't her husband, it's that she kept looking for satisfaction in things that couldn't satisfy. As Jesus would say, she was so thirsty. She couldn't find satisfaction in anything. And listen, we see this in the world all around us today because when people are looking for something that will satisfy them, I don't know if you've ever heard it put this way, but in every single one of us, there is a God-shaped hole that only he can satisfy. But our human condition takes us time and time again to try to find something else that will make it feel good. We look around the world and we see it all over the place through a differing number of things, people going into addiction, people trying different relationships through promiscuity, the world that we're in now, people trying to change the gender of themselves just to try to feel good. And God says, no, I am the thing that you've been looking for. I'm the only thing that's going to bring peace into your heart if you would just trust me. But Jesus spent this time saying that if you would drink from what I have to give you, you'd never thirst again. You know, there are people in this room who could testify of the very fact that at some point in their lives they chased, it, they chased after things for satisfaction that left them feeling broken. But then one day they came across Jesus and relationship with him changed everything and it brought satisfaction to an extent that nothing else in this world ever could. If you're here and you would say, Jesus has given me greater satisfaction and joy than anything else I've ever tried in my life. Can you raise your hand? Look, There's the witness right there. That's the witness right there because people have tried everything. We've tried everything and it is exactly what we need from God is to have relationship with Jesus. And so Isaiah goes a little bit further and he says what he's doing in verses eight and nine. He says, a great road will go through the once deserted land. It will be named the highway of holiness. Very different from that ACDC song that is highway to not holiness. Evil-minded people will never travel on it. It will be only for those who walk in God's ways. Fools will never walk there. Lions will not lurk along its course, nor any other ferocious beast. There will be no other dangers. Only the redeemed will walk on it. Sounds like a great place. This highway of holiness. In fact, I'm not going to bore you with the, the great details here, but the Hebrew word that is being used here is actually from a root word that means to lift up. Isaiah is speaking of something that had not yet been invented. It's something that's in our world all the time. It's called a causeway or a bridge. Something that goes over an area that's very difficult to traverse. You can go across a bridge that goes over a gorge. You can, I've taken bridges over 
ocean before. Uh, I've did one bridge that turned into a tunnel that went under the ocean. That's a little creepy. But we have these things that Isaiah had never even seen this or heard of it before, but God's giving him this vision that he says, I'm going to take you and I'm going to elevate you above what is going on in the world around you. And you're going to go over and you're not going to have anything that's going to come against you in that place. And he speaks of this idea of being attacked by beasts. And, and, and again, we probably can't identify too well with this. The only thing I've got that even comes close is my cat. Now, my cat, I'm pretty sure, is contemplating killing all of us. I can't prove it yet, but it, it's a very good possibility. In fact, we had some friends, uh, our, our kids had some friends over at our house this week, and they kept picking up the cat and holding it. And if you've ever seen a cat make that look, like the whole time. And I kept telling these kids, please put the cat down or it's going to come into each of our bedrooms in the night and kill us all. You probably don't want to let your kids at my house. That's the kind of stuff I just tell people. That's the only ferocious beast in my life that I have to worry about. You know, and, and years ago, I worked in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I was in construction for 10 years. And it always amazed me because I lived in a little bit more of a rural area. And, and, and here are the things that people fear. I mean, I would go into Philadelphia and I'd come home and the people that I lived with would be like, how can you go into Philadelphia? Aren't you worried that you're going to get mugged or shot? And then I go into Philadelphia and I'm working with these people and they'd say, how can you live out in the country? Aren't you afraid you're going to get attacked by a bear? I'm here to announce none of those things have ever happened to me in either place. I've never been attacked by a bear. I've never been mugged or shot. Thank you, Jesus. But these are the things that we fear. But if we could maybe go a little deeper into what are some of our fears, because he's speaking to them as well. He's speaking to some of the things that we're afraid of. This was just to contextualize. This is poetic, if you will, the way in which he's speaking. The wasteland representing lives that are being wasted, that are barren, where nothing is growing. The, the highway of holiness where he's elevating, and he's talking about how in that time of elevation, I'm going to save you from the dangers that are in your life. And so what are some of the dangers that we're facing? We look at the world around us now, we're facing some economic dangers. Praise the Lord Gas is now over $5 a gallon. If that doesn't make you happy, I don't know what will. Praise Jesus. If you drive a diesel truck, Lord bless you and keep you. <laughs> Listen, we have some economic issues that are going on. We have some unrest in our world. We have all kinds of different things, different people looking for division and battling each other all the time. We have unrest in our political system. And here's the thing. God is speaking to these very elements when he says that when you have a relationship with me, I'm going to elevate you up above those things. I'm going to put you on a plane where those things no longer matter. In fact, Jesus speaks this to his disciples in John chapter 14, verses 3 through 7. He's trying to tell them, listen, the time is coming when I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to go into heaven, but don't worry about it. He says this, when everything is ready, I will come back and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. Good old Thomas here. No, we don't, Lord. Sometimes I just like to put like a bratty kid voice to some of the people in the Bible. Thomas said, we have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way. I'm the way. 
I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one is going to come to the Father except through me. And then he says this, and this is such an important element of both of these passages that we're reading. There's a really big word with two small letters. He says, if. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. If you had really known me, you'd be up on a plane where you're risen above your fears, where you're risen above the things that everybody else is worried is going to destroy us. He says, from now on, you do know him and have seen him because of me. When he's speaking about this highway, he's saying, my promise to you is that if you know me, if you are in relationship with me, if you put your hope and your trust in me, I'm going to elevate you to a level where you're not going to be worried about the things that the rest of the world worries about. Can I tell you why we in our human condition struggle to give to the Lord in any capacity, whether it be financially, whether it be in our time, our talents, because we're afraid. God says, if you would trust me, I'd take you to a place where you're not afraid. But here is the really important part of every if statement. Because if, if it's true, then it's also possibly not true. And that's what he's speaking to his disciples. He says, if you had known me, if you knew who I was, and when he said to the woman at the well, if you knew the gift of God that was right in front of you, if you knew that, then you would ask me and I would pour out a blessing on you. This if word not only indicates the goodness of God, but it indicates in some cases just how barren our relationship with God can be. Can I tell you, his disciples are sitting there and they're like, Jesus, we hear what you're saying, but it doesn't really make sense. We know what you're talking about, but it doesn't really add up. And Jesus' response to them is that if you knew me better, this would all make much more sense. You know, maybe we find ourselves sometimes looking at the things of God and we look at it and we're like, God, I, I hear what you're saying about this and I hear what you're saying that, hey, we could even go through economic crisis and turmoil. Maybe America could collapse or whatever that looks. I know you're here, you're saying those things, but it's not making a whole lot of sense to me. And I think that God would speak back right into that moment and say, if you knew the gift of God that was right in front of you, if you knew who I was and if you knew the Father that sent me, you would be up here on that highway of holiness holiness in which no danger threatens you because you're with me the reality is that what jesus came to do was to build a bridge he said i want i, I came to build a bridge for my people i have a plan to sustain my people i have a plan to raise them up out of the things that everybody in this world is so terrified about God says, that's my blessing for my people. And church, it's not just germane to the people of the Old Testament. This is his promise for us today. It's this realized promise for us. And it's what waits for us on the other side of a wasteland if we put our hope, our faith, our trust in Jesus. Everything in the Bible to this point saying Jesus is who we can trust. We're waiting for the Messiah. We're waiting for God's promise. Then everything after Jesus is all of the, the work of the disciples, the apostles, the early church, trying to go around to the world and convince a world that struggles to believe this Jesus that came and was born and lived a sinless life and who you crucified on a cross. He rose from the dead. And when he did, he rose with victory and he came to fulfill the very things that God said he was going to do. 
There's a moment in Scripture where John the Baptist sends his disciples to go and talk to Jesus. And basically, the, the, the play is out like this. They go up to Jesus and they're like, Hey, dude, are you the guy we're waiting for? Or should we be looking for somebody else? And Jesus tells him something that fulfills what we just read in the book of Isaiah. Because in Isaiah 35, we just read it a second ago, what does he say is going to be the proof? He says that in those days, I will open the eyes of the blind, unplug the ears of the deaf, the lame will leap like deer, those who cannot speak will sing for joy. And Jesus says this to John's disciples. He says, go back and tell John that the blind receive their sight. Go back and tell them that the lame are walking and dancing. Go back and tell John that those who couldn't speak are proclaiming the name above all names. Go back and tell John that, and he'll know that the hour of my coming is upon him. Jesus was the fulfillment of every promise that God made, and he came here to build a bridge because he looked at our lives, he looked at your life, he looked at your neighbor's life, your family member, your coworker, even, believe it or not, your enemy that you can't stand. If you have one of those in your mind, I want to challenge you. Pray for him and forgive him right now. He says, I came to build a bridge because my people should not be stuck down here in the muck and mire that everybody else is worrying about. My people should not be living in fear, feeling like they're struggling sleeping at night, feeling like they're struggling to find rest in their souls. My people, if they knew, if they knew me the way that I wish they did, they would be elevated to a plane in which none of these things would matter anymore. Church, if is a really big word. Do you know that if can keep you from eternity in heaven with Jesus? If I had known you. If we'd had relationship. If you had surrendered your life to me then I would be so grateful to save you in this moment. But if you trusted in yourself, if you thought it was all on you to get through every season and go over every mountain and through every valley on your own strength, if you did those things, then the only thing I can say is to depart from me because I never knew you. It breaks the heart of God to have to even contemplate a statement like that. But I think Jesus would speak the same thing to us that he did to this woman at the well, that he did to his disciples. He would say, if you only knew, if you only could grasp how significant relationship with Jesus is, it would bring you to a place where nothing else matters. Stock market crashes tomorrow. It's okay, I'm with Jesus. Gas hits $19 a gallon. It's okay, I'm with Jesus. They elect somebody else that I don't agree with. It's okay. I'm with Jesus. I'm with Jesus. Something else bad on the news. I'm with Jesus. And he is where I have put my hope. He is where I've put my hope. Church, I want you to know that you don't have to leave today hanging on the cliff of an if statement. Because Jesus, the very fulcrum of the story of God's mercy to us, came 
who offer himself as a ransom for you and me and to build a bridge so that we can have relationship with God the Father. If you only knew who he was. Will you pray with me? God, I just thank you for being so patient and gracious and merciful to us. I thank you for your long suffering with us. How you've had to watch so many times as we try to fill that void in our hearts that only you can fill with ridiculous things. As you've watched, if we put our hope in things that are never going to change our world. And Lord, you looked at your own disciples who had been so close to you, who had known you and still didn't get it. And God, sometimes we're still in that place. Lord, my prayer is that no one would leave here today with that if statement hanging over their heads, but that they would acknowledge you as Savior, accept you into their hearts and realize that you came to build a bridge of relationship between us and you. You came to water the wasteland of our lives, these lives that were not going anywhere, that were not accomplishing anything, that were not fruitful, not peaceful. But you looked at them and you said, I want to build joy and peace and love and strength through my son, Jesus. So we're in prayer this morning. I just want to ask you if you're here and maybe you think to yourself, my life very well could be hanging in the balance of an if statement. And I don't want to leave today without being 100% sure that I could look Jesus in the eye and realize him for the gift that he is. That I could realize just how precious relationship with him could be. I don't want to leave here with that if statement hanging over my head. If that's you, can I just ask you to slip up a hand because I want to pray for you this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Can I ask you to stand as we get ready to close in prayer? You know, it sometimes encourages me and sometimes discourages me that Jesus' disciples were with him every single day for three straight years. And it's at the end of that point when they're in conversation with Jesus and they still don't get who he is. And I think to myself sometimes, God, if, if they can't get it, how can we? But I'm also encouraged because after his resurrection, they got it. They got it. And I'm like, Lord, I can get it too. I can see you for who you are, for the gift that you are. I want to lead you in a prayer this morning that is your profession of faith. It's not mine. But it's your decision to say, God, I want to choose you. I want to choose relationship with you. I don't want to let an if statement stand between me and eternity with you. And so I want to ask you to pray this with me. And we're going to put our faith and our trust in Jesus. So we pray this, Father in heaven, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son, Jesus. He died for me. He rose for me. He gave me victory. Will you water the wasteland in my life and build the bridge of relationship with you? 
in Jesus' name. I choose you. God, we do. We choose you today. We choose you. Of everything else in this world that we could choose, we choose you. We choose relationship with you. God, for those who raise their hand today, I do pray that you would just use this as a moment of true change in their hearts and lives. God, that they would no longer live lives that are down in the muck and the mire, worried about everything else that the world worries about, but that they would stand on the highway of holiness that you have built through your son, Jesus, the bridge that you created to connect us to yourself, that they would stand confident and firm that no matter what comes against me, I'm with Jesus. God, we thank you that you accomplish impossible things, even in hearts as hard as ours. And we give you glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, wherever you go today, whatever you do, go with Jesus. If there are things that are keeping you fearful, remind your fears. I'm with Jesus. Love on each other and encourage each other. If you need prayer this morning, our prayer team will be up here to pray with you and to meet with you so that you can pray together. But Lord bless you. Have a wonderful day. Love on each other. If you're with Summer Blast, you can make your way over to the Life Center and then we're going to get ready to get set up right away. But have a blessed day and love on each other in Jesus' name.